Today's reading is from Proverbs 1, 1 to 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealings, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You may be seated. All right, as you're seated, please allow me to pray for us. Father, when we open the text of Scripture, we do come to the text with anticipation that you will encounter us there, that we will encounter you there, that you will reveal yourself to us in greater dimension, in greater ways, and that by your Spirit you would allow these words that that sometimes jump off the pages of Scripture to just get into our hearts, to get into our lives, and to be worked out in the way that we live. And so that's our prayer this morning, Lord, is that your word would come alive in our midst, that we would understand, comprehend, that we would take it not only as good info, but that we would translate that into good practice. And so we ask you this morning, even as we just now move into a study of the book of Proverbs through the summer, we just ask you that you would open our eyes in greater ways, that we might behold you in, in, in the way that you are, for who you are. Uh, that you would open our ears as we study this book through the summer, that you would speak your word of truth to us, that we would have ears to hear, as your word says, and that also, Lord, you would open our hearts to believe that we might live lives that would glorify you in every way. And it's in Jesus' wonderful name that we pray this. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Well, if God appeared to you, if God appeared to you and invited you to ask him for anything you wanted, what would you say? Don't say it out loud because it's just going to get real judgy in a second. Okay. If, 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 God, if God appeared to you okay, and he invited you to ask him for anything you wanted, what would you say? What would you ask for? Um, now, I doubt that that's going to happen to any of us. And now we do have the ability to ask God for anything in prayer, and we know that he hears us. But, but if he showed up and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something for you right now, anything you want, what do you want? I doubt that's maybe going to happen to us today. Maybe you have more faith than me for something like that. Um, but it is what happened to King Solomon. There's a guy in the Bible named Solomon. He was the king of Israel. He was the son of David, who was the king of Israel. That's what did happen to Solomon. It's recorded for us in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. It says, The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. What he's saying is, is ask for whatever you want me to give you. Now, it's not exactly your wish is my command, right? But it's about as close as you get in the Bible. To your wish is my command. So what did Solomon ask for? You just think about it. You go, oh, all the juicy bits that he could have asked for. Did he say, show me the money? No, he didn't say that. Some of you, that was your first thought. You're like, oh, if I didn't have to work anymore. Now, I'm just joking. I know you didn't think that. None of you would think that. <laughs> right? Did he ask for, you know, the, the calories he eats to turn into perfect, um, you know, something he can metabolize perfectly. So when he has a donut, he gets a six pack. That, he didn't ask for that. There's nothing magical going on in that way. Uh, did he ask for a soulmate? Oh, if I could just find her. He doesn't ask for that. He didn't even, 
He didn't even consider asking uh, for some of you who follow basketball for Kawhi Leonard to reconsider his deal that he signed with the Clippers to maybe go back to the Raptors and try and defend the title. He didn't even think about asking for that because he's too godly. What, what did he ask for? In the response that he gives, he acknowledges two things, and I think they're important to acknowledge, and I'm going to camp out on this idea all the way through the message. He asks for, he acknowledges two things before he makes his request. He acknowledges, first and foremost, that God is the God of his father David, and he saw his father David uh, live a life of pursuit after God. He served his generation. Uh, he honored God in the way that he lived, not always, but with repentance. He did always come back to him, and he saw God's covenant faithfulness to his father. So he acknowledges that. He says, look, I know who you are, and I know that you're the covenant God. You're the God who's faithful to the end. So that's the first thing he acknowledges before he makes his request. The second thing he acknowledges is his inability to rule as the king, apart from God's wisdom and God's help. So he acknowledges who God is, and he acknowledges his limitation or his need. I'm going to come back to that over and over and over again. This is what his request says. First Kings 3 verse 9. He says, give your servant, this is Solomon saying this, give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this, your great people. He asked for an understanding mind to govern God's people, to do what God had called him to do in his life. That was his role. He had been appointed, anointed, and installed as the king of Israel. And he says, I don't know how to do this. Who can lead your people? I need, I need an understanding mind to do that. Basically, he asked for wisdom. Okay? He, he asked for wisdom. Wisdom is, is simply acquired learning that helps you to know what to do in a particular kind of situation. Wisdom for something. You know what to do when you need to do it. That's wisdom. He asked for wisdom to properly govern God's people. He asked for wisdom to properly, I think, govern his own life and then to govern the people that God had entrusted into his care. So 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 10 shows us that God was pleased with his answer. It says, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you've not, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but you've Asked for yourself, understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has ever uh, has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. And then at the end of the next chapter, it's summarizing what God did in Solomon's life in this way. First Kings four twenty nine says God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and of all the wisdom of Egypt. That's Solomon. Now, Christ City, I'm going to ask you one more time. If God appeared to you today and He invited you to ask Him for anything you wanted, what would you say? You wisdom. Wisdom to rule your people? No, no. Wisdom to do what he's called you to do in life. I think that's a right thing to ask for. It's a good thing to ask for. So this morning, what we're going to do as we do enter into this study of Proverbs through the summer, we're going to look practically at why we need to spend the summer in Proverbs, why we need to engage in wisdom literature in the scriptures, and then we're going to look at the text, Proverbs 1, 1 to 7. So that's really the two things I want to focus on. Why do we need to spend, or why would we spend a summer looking at the book of Proverbs, and then we'll look at chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, and um, pull some stuff out of there. Now, this summer, we are going to look at a number of different topics. I just want to show them to you really quickly. 
Um, we're going to look this morning as the beginning of knowledge. That comes out of verse 7. Next week, we're going to look at the comparison and contrast of the righteous and the wicked, as we see in Proverbs. Uh, then we're going to look at what Proverbs says about money, speech, friendship, what Proverbs says about God's plan and his providence in our lives, his guiding of our life. And, and, and then we're going to look at our work. And so what Proverbs says about our jobs. And then finally, we'll look at pride and humility, what pride and humility have to do with our life as followers of Jesus. And so that's how we're going to look at this. Now, we want to grow in wisdom this summer. And, and the beautiful thing about the desire to grow in wisdom is that God has actually promised that if we ask him for it, he will give it to us when we need it. That's actually a pretty encouraging thing. If you say, I'm the kind of person who wants to grow in my wisdom as I live out this life that God has called me to live. I want to grow in this. That's my desire. Well, the good news is there's a promise that God will show that to you and grant that to you when you need it. He's not maybe going to come and ask you what he can do for you in your life like he did with Solomon. But we do know that the Spirit of God grants us the wisdom that we need in the time that we need it. This is what it says in James chapter 1, verse 5. Let me show you. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let God ask. Let him ask God, pardon me, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. If any of you lacks wisdom, now that may be the most obvious assumption and understatement of our whole generation. The assumption in the text, and James is making this assumption in the first century, the assumption is that we lack wisdom. That's the assumption. The human beings at times, maybe all the time, at some level lack wisdom. And so he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, there's actually entire genres of entertainment based around how people lack wisdom. If you go to YouTube, you can just spiral into things that are hilarious that just show forth the lack of wisdom that we have. And then also uh, probably the lack of wisdom of the time that I spent watching videos on YouTube, thinking about how funny it is that people lack wisdom. I'm sure there's some sort of point to preach out of that, but I'm not going to go there. So the really obvious assumption, okay, the really obvious assumption also comes with a glorious promise to us all. Um, we are not kings. But we do have the ability to ask God for wisdom on the basis of the awareness we have that we need it. And the glorious promise is that if we ask for it in faith, God gives it to us without reproach. That means that God willingly offers to answer our request for wisdom, for living through every kind of trial and in every kind of circumstance, and and that he honors that request if we simply have the humility to ask. Um. On James chapter 1, verse 5, there's a commentary written by Craig Blomberg and Miriam Kovalishan, and it says, James promises that God does not mock or reproach us when we request wisdom, so there's no need to feel shame when coming to him. And this is my favorite sentence. He will not belittle our stupidity. He will not belittle our stupidity, which, which makes me more comfortable talking to him about my stupidity. Right? I can just bring it to God and go, okay, um, found myself in a situation because I'm stupid, Oh, but there's a glorious promise that if I acknowledge my need for wisdom and I ask you with faith that you will give me the wisdom I need. And so God, please, I'm stupid. I caught myself in a situation and circumstance and I need help out of it. He does not mock. He does not reproach. He's a loving father. Our God is not like your friends who see you in a difficult situation and go, you're such an idiot. God knows that. But he will not mock you for your stupidity. Praise God for that. That's very encouraging to me. 
I like to think I have a measure of wisdom. Do you know how I gained most of it? Oh my goodness, I found myself in another situation where my stupidity took over. God, please give me wisdom. I need to learn how to get out of this one. Right? And then I get to sit down with somebody else and they go, oh, I'm in this situation. I'm like, boy, I can't identify with that at all. But let me give you some wisdom on what I would do if I was in your shoes. That's how we grow in our wisdom. We need to grow in our wisdom. The wisdom of God that's available to us today is based on the same two realizations that Solomon had in his day. God comes and says, hey, Solomon, what can I do for you? And he says, well, you're the covenant God of my people, and I know that you're faithful to the end, so I acknowledge who you are and what you're all about, how you've revealed yourself to us. I would also like to say, God, that, I, that I'm not able to do the things you've called me to do. And so I'm going to acknowledge who you are, and then I'm going to acknowledge my situation and how I find myself living in this life, and I'm going to bring those things to you. The same situation that Solomon had is the same thing we see in James chapter 1, verse 5. The two conditions are that you know you need wisdom, and that you know God is the good and loving and generous uh, Savior who wishes to offer it to you without mockery, and he doesn't really even ask about the situation you find yourself in in the moment. There's no condition on that. You just need to have the humility to say, I need your help. That's good news for every single one of us this morning. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, do you know that you can turn to the God of the universe and ask him for help in the midst of your trials? Because that's what it's talking about in James 1. You can turn to him. It doesn't matter what's going on, what bombs have gone off around you. Don't worry, he'll bring you to a place of repentance. He'll bring you to a place of humility before him. But you first need to have the humility just to turn to him and say, God, you're God, and I'm not. That is the condition for gaining wisdom in this life. You are God, and I am not. It's the foundation of all biblical wisdom. John Calvin said, Our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts. The knowledge of God and of ourselves. So the knowing of God, our relationship with him, and knowing oneself, having a bit of an objective view of who you are, as much as any of us are able to do so, that actually is what leads us to growth and wisdom. Right? A right view of God in his glory and a right view of us in our situation of need. So why are we camping out in Proverbs all summer? Well, it's because God is good and because we're people of need and we need to grow in our wisdom. So all summer we're going to acknowledge that God is God and we are not. We're going to acknowledge that he promises to offer us wisdom if we would simply ask. Because we need to realize how deeply he wants those of us who walk with him to walk in close relationship with him and to find our joy and satisfaction in him and in him alone and how that leads to the transformation of our lives and how actually that then translates into the flourishing of our life in every single area. It's the knowledge of God and the knowledge of self leads us to growth and wisdom that actually shines forth the light of Christ in our lives. When other people notice and go, what? going on with you there's a guy named neil burton who is a professor at oxford some of you may have seen his ted talk which i think got a lot of play on his ted talk was on um basically on depression and how it, it might not actually be the worst thing in the world for us and he has some good things to say he's a psychiatrist but but in writing about wisdom he says 
In an age dominated by science and technology, by specialization and compartmentalization, wisdom is too loose, too grand, and too mysterious a concept. With our heads in our smartphones and tablets, in our bills and bank statements, we simply do not have the time or mental space for it. Okay, so basically what he's saying is, the natural response of our generation um, to the idea of wisdom is, why would I need that? I have Google. That's what he's saying. Why, I, don't, I have access to all of I don't need that. I don't need to grow in that as a person. See, if you think that, it's because you've confused wisdom with information. And there's been a massive exchange in the last probably 40 years where life is not built on passing on generational wisdom. It's built on easy access to information. I think it's been changing for a very long time. I just think it's the most acute changes have probably been in the last 40 or 50 years in our culture where this idea is the most prevalent idea of what it looks like to live. Um, So in general, I think wisdom now to our generation, and I mean all of us who are alive in this room, um, it seems passe. It's a little bit passe to think about wisdom. Um, We can easily access the specialized expertise of different people in their different fields, um, That's, I think, in general how we think about this. But in particular, in light of the overload of information accessibility, God's wisdom to us, it can seem quaint. Almost old-fashioned. Right? Old-timey wisdom. And we go, oh, that's cute, but we have Google. Hang on. There's nothing wrong with information. It's the exchange of wisdom for information that gets us into trouble. See, our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents, they came of age... Uh, in what we would normally call the industrial era, industrial age. It was about doing things and growing things and making things, and that was sort of the focus of the entire generation of work. They, They did something for a job. But what has taken place in the latter part of the 20th century, where anybody kind of my age and younger has come of age, is that we live in the era of information, the information age. And... Information is now more plentiful than it's ever been. And with that saturation and ease of access to information, what's happened is it gives us an overinflated sense uh, of our own place in the world. It gives us an overinflated sense of our own wisdom, actually, where we think that we know everything because we can look up almost everything. And if you look around at the circumstances of our lives right now and you look around at the different situations going on around the globe, it would seem to indicate that though we are plentiful in the category of information, that we are perhaps lacking some wisdom. Because what we're doing with the information we can easily access is not translating into wise living. Sure, there's people who are living wise, but how many people are actually trying to uh, perpetuate and understand ancient wisdom for this moment today? I don't think that's that wide of a group. And so we need to pay attention. We need to ask ourselves, how are we doing? Because if wisdom has been eclipsed by information, and then there's some negative consequences to that, perhaps we can stop and evaluate the situation itself and say, what's going on around us? Because, like I said, at the tips of our fingers, we have access to almost limitless amounts of information, and yet our generation is more angry and more depressed and more anxious and more insecure than ever before. See, if information was supposed to set us free, um, it it, it is not proven to be a a very worthy savior. We have access to more information than we could ever comprehend in our life. 
and we're more angry and depressed and anxious and, and just shaky. See, we're more connected and we're more informed than ever before, but we're also more stressed and unstable than ever before. And I think part of that comes with this preference that we've learned to take in vast amounts of quick information to the detriment of the slow growth of godly wisdom. Um, Getting information, if you think about it like this, is like turning on your tap to get water. It's instantaneous. Okay, getting wisdom is like aging that wine for 15 years. And so a lot of people are coming out of university and going, why don't I have a $150,000 a year job right now? I should be your boss. I know way more than you. And you're like, you're an idiot. That's why. It's because you have so much information and you lack wisdom in Christ. And I love you. (laughs) I was the same way. I'm not standing up here not guilty of this. I remember being that age. I quit my job and started a business because I didn't want to work for the guy that I thought I was smarter than. And then I was successful and it worked out okay. Because I was smarter than him. I don't know. That's, that's not the point. No, that's, that's, that, that's the posture we live by. I know more than you does not always equate to I'm better at it than you. Instantaneous amounts of information does not necessarily translate to wisdom for living. And I think that's why we get onto this shaky foundation. We have an expectation that's been inflated about who we are because we know more than anybody else has ever known. Like the average 25-year-old's walking around who knows more than... than the average 85-year-old even knew existed, information-wise. But, but that 25-year-old needs to sit at the feet of that 85-year-old and catch some wisdom. Okay, we need to be those people who lean into this and grow in this. God's wisdom to us and for us, it might seem quaint in the information age, but I, I really do want to suggest that instead of it being old-fashioned, and instead of it being out of date, that biblical wisdom is something we desperately need, perhaps now more than ever. So here's my contention. This is my argument this morning. Uh, I think with a rapidly increasing limitless access to information, those who are committed to developing wisdom in their life are going to be the people who are elevated to positions of leadership and influence in this world. And I would say, why not you? Why not us? Those of you who will hear the call to build your life on a foundation of biblical wisdom will be looked at no matter how old you are now or what you've gone through in the past or what you think is in the future. You will be looked at as anchors that can hold strong in the midst of a storm. You'll be looked at as anchors in the workplace and anchors in families because wisdom and the ensuing life of discipline and focus that wise living produces will stand out as profoundly countercultural in a world of anxiety and instability. So when chaos and instability are reigning, people will look to those who possess wisdom to chart the course forward. So if you steward your life and want to steward your life and your call, think of Solomon. I, I know what I'm called to do, but I don't know how to do it well. But God, you're God. And if you would, would you give me an understanding mind? Do you want to steward the call of God in your life to be salt and light everywhere you go? Because I'm telling you, biblical wisdom will make you salt and light in a way that maybe no other generation has been prepared to see. Biblical wisdom is not merely knowledge and it is not information. 
It's not just knowing the right answers. Biblical wisdom is a way of knowing that enables us to discern and to choose the proper pathway through life. Uh, one Old Testament scholar, J.A. Loder, said, Wisdom is concerned with the correct ordering of life. Wise action is that which integrates people harmoniously into the order that God has created because our God has created an order to live by. And when you, wanting to be salt and light in the world and followers of Jesus who are in the room here with us this morning, you want to be salt and light, acknowledging who God is and that there's an order to his cosmos, his world, we can come along that. And we can actually be a massive blessing to people in the midst of it. I think biblical wisdom can help us to gain a hearing for the gospel of Jesus. There are people in your life right now who are watching how you handle yourself and they are blown away by it because you seem to have something that anchors you in the midst of storms that they don't have. People watch. Workplace, families, relationships, education, institutions. People who are peaceful and confident that non-anxious presence of saying, I know who God is and I know who I am and I'm deeply dependent on him. We have something to offer here. We have the God of the universe to offer here. And I think living with wisdom gives us an opportunity to share that hope that we have with others. I think biblical wisdom will help us to love our neighbors in what can be a little bit of a crazy world. Leslie Newbegin is a, was a missionary and a scholar. He said, live in the kingdom of God in such a way that it provokes questions for which the gospel is the only answer. So I think biblical wisdom actually helps us to live that kind of life. And so when we're asked, we can explain um, how we live and why we live the way that we live. Uh, and the only answer is actually the love of God to us in Christ. And we can point to that. So biblical wisdom is immensely practical. It's the application of knowledge, right? Wisdom is the right application of knowledge. It helps us to navigate our way through all the choices that we have to make in day-to-day living. Uh, Choices about how to use your money, how to use your time, how to live out your sexuality, how to handle your friendships and relationships and singleness and your marriages and how to do your work. And if you have kids, how to parent your kids. All the topics that we're going to hit this summer would fall under that category of immensely practical. Proverbs is a book to know and to apply. And if we're going to live a well-ordered and flourishing life in Christ, we do need biblical wisdom. And we ignore the wisdom literature of the Bible to our own peril. So that's why we're doing it. You all right? Do you, do you think this is something we need or am I completely off base here? You're with me? Don't make a preacher feel insecure. We need a Holy Spirit-dependent desire to grow in our wisdom. And then you go, how are we going to do that? Well, I showed you Solomon. What did Solomon do? God, you're God, and I'm not, and I need you. Okay, James chapter 1. Hey, do you know what? If any of you lacks wisdom, or maybe because you all lack wisdom, he could have, he could have written that. It's true. We lack wisdom. We don't have a fullness of wisdom, so that means we still lack wisdom. When you lack wisdom, ask God for it. Acknowledge who he is. As the God who generously provides it without reproach. Because you recognize you lack it. Okay, Solomon said, God, you're God, and I'm not. What is James's advice for us? God, you're God, and I am not. What was John Calvin's advice to us, the 16th century reformer? True wisdom consists of the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourself. We know who God is, and we know who we are. And that means we ask him for help. 
That's how we're going to take hold of it. Okay, now I think we're ready for the text. Are you ready for the text? <laughs> Funny, Brett. Proverbs 1.1. 1, 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Okay, verse 1 tells us who wrote it. Verses 2 to 6 tell us the purpose of the book of Proverbs. And verse 7 gives us the foundation for all of it. The author, the purpose, and the foundation. Verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Okay, this is why I started with Solomon at the very beginning. I wanted us to see that his wisdom came from a life dependent on God. Uh, Solomon wrote... uh, chapters 1 through 9, which actually just serves as an introduction to his Proverbs in chapters 10 through 24. And then there's some collected sayings of Solomon from 25 to 29. So my point being on that, his introduction was nine chapters long, and that's why my introduction was long this morning. Boom. Thank you. Thanks for loving me. Chapters 1 through 9 set us up for the Proverbs that he starts to teach in 10 through 24. And in chapter 25, it says there were some men who worked for King Hezekiah who assembled some more of the Proverbs. And so chapters 25 through 29 give us more sayings of Solomon that were assembled by some editors who helped out. And then chapter 30 are are Proverbs from uh, from a guy named Agur. And then in chapter 31, we have Proverbs from King Lemuel. So that's our book. That's kind of the out flow of what we're going to be looking at and how we can study that and how you can notice it in there. But there's really two reasons to highlight that Solomon is the author who wrote this. The first is some instruction on how to read the Bible. And then the second is a warning that I think we should all pay attention to. First, some instruction on how to read the Bible. Um, Solomon's authorship places Proverbs in the midst of the story of God. He was the king of Israel. He's not just some figure who kind of hovered off to the side and then came in and just dropped nuggets of wisdom and left. He was the king of Israel. He was the guy who was trusted to lead God's people. That means that Proverbs and the wisdom literature in the Bible have a rightful place in and with the law and the prophets in the Old Testament. That we should be reading the wisdom literature in the same way as we read the law and the prophets. We should read it in the genre that it was written to us in, but we should pay attention to it. Um, the second reason that we should uh, read, or that we should note that Solomon is the author, is that there's a warning we need to pay attention to here in Solomon's life. Um, Solomon wrote Proverbs and he reigned over Israel during its most prosperous period. But his life also stands as a really sober reminder to all of us who are pursuing wisdom in this life. Uh, 1 Kings 11, and I'm not going to take you there just for the sake of time in the story, but basically 1 Kings 11 tells us this tragic story of Solomon and how his heart turned away from God as he aged. In his old age, he just turned away from the Lord. And and basically Solomon started... When he turned away, he stopped trusting in the Lord with all his heart and he began to rely on his own understanding. Right To take Proverbs 3, uh, 4, or 5 and just kind of spin it. He stopped trusting in God and he leaned on his own understanding. And that's a warning to all of us. Um, I mean, maybe he he, he thought foolishly that the 
things that he had done and the stuff that he had learned and the wisdom that he had dispensed in the earlier years of his life, maybe he thought that that would carry him through all the way to the end. And I, I, maybe he just stopped seeking the Lord. I don't know. There's lots there written in the story, in the narrative, telling us what happened. But basically, he stopped listening to his own spirit-inspired wisdom. Like if you go to Proverbs chapter 19, verse 27, it says, Cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. Solomon knew that, and yet he fell prey to it, and he died a fool. So, we talk about the authorship of Solomon to say, none of us is above falling down, kind of scrambling this whole thing. Secondly, then, after we talk about its place in the scripture and a warning that comes from the life of Solomon, we would look at the purpose of Proverbs. Look at the purpose of Proverbs. Look at verses 2 through 6. It says, to know wisdom and instruction. Basically, that two, there's five of them in the text. You can read that with the purpose to. So I'll read it that way. With the purpose to know wisdom and instruction. With the purpose to understand words of insight. Proverbs are written with the purpose to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. With the purpose to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear an increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. With the purpose to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. And so Proverbs are purposed that we would grow in godly character and learn how to think in a godly way, and thereby shape our lives Form our lives in a pattern that would please God and obey his will for us. It's to go back to the idea that God is God and I am not. That's what Proverbs are for. Comes down to a posture of humility then that, that would lead to a willingness and an attentiveness to be instructed by his spirit through his word. And so all of Proverbs then are purposed to lead us toward honoring God. And I would say to love our neighbor because there's a lot of very practical wisdom here in how we can live this out best for the world around us. So the question is, are we teachable? Do we hunger after God's wisdom that we might be a blessing to others? Are you looking for a way to posture yourself in humility before God that you might receive the wisdom that you need? I don't have time to go into this, but there's a wonderful tangent I'd love to just explore. I was talking with a couple of our elders, and they were talking about their workplace situations, and they were talking about how hiring young people at this point, you can't assume knowledge of basic things. They're very, very intelligent and educated, but all of a sudden you realize they're not sure they need to come to work every day. Young people, like that's a thing. <laughs> like there's a wonderful gal who, who we were, uh, not part of our church, and so I can tell you the story. <laughs> but I mean, she went to work uh, and has been dealing with some struggles, and, but just like said to her boss the first day, like, I need to go home now. And he's like, well, it's not the end of your shift. And she said, but I need to go home. And he's like, cool, just don't come back. Like, okay, that's one way to handle that. But what if that boss had some spirit-filled wisdom that he learned from the scriptures? And instead of just saying, well, I'll cast you off, I guess you're not really worth handling. What if they stopped and said, can I, can I teach you something about what it means to be a human? How to adult? It means you show up early. You work hard. And if needed, you stay late. You say thanks to your boss at the end of the month. It means you lean in and you try to grow. And you don't just do your job. You say, how can I learn to do that job? 
What is it that I can do? How can I be a blessing here? Not how can they feed me and clothe me and provide for me, but how can I be a blessing in this workplace? Uh, That's week 10 or something. We're going to get there, but don't worry. Things are all very practical. Look at verse 3. Verse 3. With the purpose to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, equity, uh, justice and equity. Um, Righteousness we're going to look at next week, and then justice and equity. Okay, how do you be called a righteous person? Are you righteous and just and equitable? Well, you actually need to live that out practically. That's my only point, is that this stuff is something that is lived, and then you can be called righteous and just and equitable. Like, it's not stuff that you take, and this is my fear in talking about wisdom, is that you just think it's knowledge and you add more to your head. It's actually wisdom that is that is. The information transferred here that comes into our heads and then gets lived out so that we can be righteous and just and equitable. Right? It's, it's aiming toward righteousness and justice and equitability. Equity? Equity? I don't know how that word works. It gets lived out. It's very practical. And then you go, well, how do you put this together? It feels like it's overwhelming. Here's the foundation of it all. Verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I sat down with somebody this week and thank God they were reading ahead in the series because I had to give them a word of counsel. And I said, I really think this is something you need to hear. I love you very much. And the person said, well, I just read in Proverbs 1 this morning that fools despise wisdom and instruction, and so I guess I better pay attention. And I was like, thank you, Holy Spirit. Because <laughs> as much as you might think I really love saying difficult things to people, because some of you think that, as I know because you tell me that, nobody likes doing that. Anybody who likes doing that, you're tweaked. I don't like sitting down and saying, look, I need to bring some truth to you that it's really difficult to say. And so you pray, Holy Spirit, help me. And the Holy Spirit helped me that morning by that person opening Proverbs 1 and reading that verse and meditating on verse 7. And I went, thank you, God. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And none of us want to be fools. Fear in this context, it's it's a worshiping surrender, right? It's a worshiping surrender. And the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the Lord is the one who's revealed himself to us that we might know how to live, that we might live according to his will. So worshiping surrender of the God who has revealed himself to us in Christ. This is a worshiping surrender of the God who has revealed himself to us in Christ. Um, Bruce Waltke, who has a phenomenal commentary on Proverbs, says, What the alphabet is to reading, notes to reading music, and numerals to mathematics, the fear of the Lord is to attaining the revealed knowledge of this book. Which means if you don't have the fear of the Lord, you can't actually put any of this together. What the alphabet is to reading Notes to reading music and numerals to mathematics. The fear of the Lord is to attaining the revealed knowledge of this book. And so notice in verses 2 and 7, I want you to see this. To know wisdom and instruction. And verse 7 says, fools despise wisdom and instruction. So it's purposed to help us to live a wise life 
to come to a place of growth in wisdom, not that we would arrive at being fully wise, but continual growth in wisdom as we seek God. But note that the only difference between the fool and the wise is the fear of the Lord. Another scholar says the fear of the Lord is that first principle of knowledge rejected by the fool. It's the first thing to go. Who despises wisdom and discipline. To submit to instruction is to acknowledge an authority higher than the fool's own. Therefore, the fool, wishing to be his own authority, does not know whom he should fear. Yet without that fear, the acknowledgement of God's gracious authority, there can be no knowledge of the sort that is described in Proverbs. So how do you get all of this? Well, you begin with the fear of the Lord. True wisdom is founded on the truth of who God is and our humility before him, that God is God and that we are not. That's the foundation of this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of this knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. So true wisdom is having an accurate view of yourself, as accurate as you can possibly have, and it's having as accurate a view of God as you possibly can. That's the foundation of true wisdom. True wisdom comes through encountering the one who knows all things, who has created all things, and in whom all things are currently being held together. So if you've got an accurate view of yourself and you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you would know that the pinnacle of wisdom in this life is the realization that you have needed a savior and that you were lost under the weight of your sin and your shame and your guilt and that the way of wisdom, the pinnacle of the way of wisdom is actually to yield control of your life in humble surrender over to God, knowing that the fear of the Lord is that worshipful surrender before him. And that that's all made possible by the finished work of Christ on the cross. Look, there's lots in Proverbs that any single person could read whether they believe in Jesus or not. You don't have to trust Jesus to learn something from Proverbs. But for it to be true wisdom, you really begin with the reality that he revealed himself to us in Christ. That Jesus actually is the wisdom of God. That in him all things hold together. That he is the creator who created a way for the world to work. And that if we ask him for wisdom, he'll help us to work in line with his will. The first thing we can do to gain wisdom is to recognize that we need a savior. And that no matter the circumstances and mess of our life, we can turn to him and that he will bring us to himself. And just like with wisdom, he'll bring us to salvation without reproach. It does not matter what you've done. God will not mock you. What a beautiful reality. The things that you feel like you could never confess to another human being, you can turn to God and say to him, and you can know that he wipes the slate clean, that he washes you white as snow, that he renews you and your joy in his salvation, that all you need to do is turn to him and say, God, you're God, and I'm not, and I stuffed it up. Would you please help me here? And would you please help me with wisdom for living? Would you stand with me as we respond this morning? Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.